Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. We are joined again uh, by Kate Kelly. We've had her on before. Kate Kelly is a lawyer, activist, host of the podcast Ordinary Equality, and an author of a book coming out by the same name this March. Congratulations, Kate. You may remember her from an earlier episode on Majority 54, all about abortion. And since abortion is sadly very much back in the news, Kate has agreed to come back and help us wade through what's going on. Basically, Kate, you have become the, when Ravi and I realized, like, with Grace and everybody in the, in the planning meeting, we're like, we really need to talk about abortion this week. And then we go, yeah. So who's going to call Kate? Because, like, we just we just don't want to be, <laughs> Ravi, back me up on this. We don't want to be the two dudes who are like, now we will tell you about abortion. Yeah, I, I back you up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so before you even, I was going to say before you even get going, I would tell the audience you should go back if you haven't listened to it and listen to the abortion episode we did with Kate because it's outstanding. Uh, I'm sure this will be as well. Kate, how you doing? Good. And I am so glad that there are two men who want to do a podcast about abortion. It's incredibly important. And, you know, there, there wouldn't be abortion without what I like to call impregnators. So, <laughs> so, so glad to have two impregnators want to talk about it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do an experiment and add impregnator to my Twitter bio and see what kind of reaction we get. <laughs> it depends. Is impregnator like a synonym for male human or it, do you have to have impregnated a person? No, I think it's a synonym for anyone okay. who can impregnate people, which includes men and trans uh, folks and people all over the gender spectrum. All right. Well, Ravi, I guess have at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there okay. won't be any misunderstandings there. Uh, what could go wrong? You know, we had a lot going on this week in America, but most notably we had we had oral arguments in front of the Supreme Court. And I think a lot of people took notice. And Kate, that's why we have you here today. And you know, we, we had you on, I think, during, I, I don't know what a normal week in this debate is, but I think it was a, it was it was just different times, but now we're, we're, we're getting to where the stakes are getting higher and higher and higher, and it looks like we're, head for some, we're heading for some turbulent seas ahead. Can you explain to us where we are right now? We've got the Georgia heartbeat bill, Texas's weird, you know, sort of bounty-esque rule that we've talked about on this podcast before, and then we have Mississippi's law, like what... What's going on with all these laws? Like, and and are they are do they constitute a, a true threat to Roe versus Wade? So the answer to the last question is yes, yes, absolutely yes. Anyone who is saying that Roe versus Wade is not going to be completely gutted or overturned is disassociating 
from the truth of what's happening. If you see things like save row and like da da donate now, you know, da da stop Kavanaugh, those are that's just the time to stop Kavanaugh was before he was confirmed on the Supreme Court. And the the time to stop Amy Coney Barrett from you know coming to the fruition of her entire life uh, and legal training to specifically to overturn Roe versus Wade uh, was before she was put on the bench. Uh, We are past that point. Um, That is going to happen. Uh, Long may she live and may she rest in peace. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, signaled long before this happened, um, the the legal uh, frailty of uh, Roe versus Wade. But, you know, in the oral arguments in the Dobbs case, which is this 15 week ban uh, in Mississippi uh, that came before the Supreme Court. And Kate, just to be clear, uh, can you explain a little bit before you go on about what you mean by 15 week ban? Yeah. So all these laws, um, the ones that you mentioned, like in Georgia and Texas and Mississippi, these are all called trap laws. So they're targeted restrictions on abortion providers. Uh, And because Roe versus Wade has been so systematically cut back since it was first decided in 1973, the Supreme Court uh, has allowed since that decision, kind of chopping and chopping and chopping, chopping away at the right. Um, And so they allow these things, uh, these laws, these restrictions in states to really target abortion providers. So it's all these these ridiculous things like time requirements and wait periods to get the procedure and, you know, requirements about how wide the hallways have to be in the clinics and hospital admitting privileges. And in these case, bans. So it says after a certain period, you can not have the procedure anywhere in this state. So in this case, Dobbs is the name of the the case, and it is a 15-week ban, which means after 15 weeks of pregnancy, you cannot have the procedure anywhere in the state. It's 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 really just very close to an all out abortion ban, and it's pre, it's what's called pre viability. So that means the fetus uh, could not survive on its own, and so that was kind of the previous the previous place where we left it. There's a great episode on my podcast, uh, Ordinary Equality, that really breaks down all of the the way that Roe was decided. But essentially, Roe is decided on a trimester's framework. There were no restrictions allowed in the first trimester. There were some restrictions allowed in the second trimester. And uh, there were there were all restrictions allowed in the third trimester. But we're getting closer and closer and closer. And so when we say overturn Roe versus Wade, we mean completely get rid of that viability framework. We mean completely get rid of the the, the holding in Roe versus Wade, is, which is that you the government does not have an interest, uh, at least in the first two trimesters of significantly regulating abortion. So this this case um, that we have coming up, uh, really, uh, the reason that it's seen as overturning Roe is if they decide that you can have a 15 week ban, that completely erases what was decided in Roe. I I feel like for, you know, people our age, anybody born, you know, after when was row 73 i want to say mm-hmm. yeah so anybody you know born around that period or so i'm born in 81 i think y'all are younger than me this feels to me a little bit like when trump was elected president uh, and here's why because i think that it was just like conventional wisdom that like a clown fascist would never become president of the united states and in the same way for those of us who have never known a world pre-Roe, even though like, you know, we functionally understood 
the consequences of the makeup of the court, it still feels like it can't be real to me, a world without without Roe. Does that make any sense? It's like hard to digest. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, advocates, reproductive justice and rights advocates have been shouting about this for a very long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, I understand why it, it feels like maybe that was only a small group of people and other folks are now like, wait, is this really happening? Like, is this truly actually happening? Yeah. I just think a large percent of the country is right is right there. It's like, wait, no, wait, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the reason that feels like such a you know, such an abrupt or such an absolutely jarring event is 77% of Americans support the legal access to abortion. Like this is across party lines, across, you know, different demographics, across religious identities, like, you know, a huge percentage of people in this country just think abortion should be legal. And so the, the cognitive dissonance between what most people believe and what may or may not be completely abolished in 26 states starting in June of next year, it's really is jarring. And Kate, just on the polling on this, so uh, 538 did an interesting overview of the polling. I think the the writer is Amelia Thompson-DeVoe, and she basically rolled up all the polling data that we know about abortion. And essentially what she wrote was, vast majority of Americans uh, support keeping Roe in place. But once you start getting into the details, like especially second trimester, for example, the polling gets way more complicated. What do you know about the complexities around it? Like, like is it just that the vast majority support access the way that you think of access to abortion? Or is are people a little bit more, like are people a little bit more conservative when you get down into the polling numbers? Well, I mean, when you think about it, you don't go to the doctor to get a row. <laughs> you you go to the doctor to get an abortion. And so when people say they support row, what that means is I support access to abortion. Most people don't even know, most lawyers don't even know uh, what the decision in row actually means and like the div- div- dividers between all the trimesters. And and I think also it's important to remember, like, for example, the six-week ban uh, that we're talking about in Texas, a six-week ban for, for the vast majority of people is actually a two-week ban um, because you're not even going to realize you're pregnant until you've missed your first menstrual cycle um, and that that's every month. So a six-week ban is actually a two-week ban because of the way uh, that pregnancy works. And so I think there's just a lot of, you know, misinformation with women and with all menstruating people, um, even themselves, about how pregnancy works. Until you've been pregnant, you probably don't know. And and again, the people making these decisions and and certainly all of the people who wrote the Roe decision had never been pregnant um, and, and don't know what the experience actually is like. Um, but I think turning back to what you were asking about, um, Ravi, about the, uh, you know, do people have complicated feelings about abortion? Yes, people have complicated feelings about abortion. Even people who have had abortions uh, can have complicated feelings about abortion. Uh, and, and you know, th- these these questions about when life begins and, um, you know, all these different things, even in the oral arguments, they, they mentioned like these questions are philosophical and religious questions, you know, about when life begins and, and when the fetus, uh, you know, the soul enters the body and all of these different questions. I guess, you know, everyone falls somewhere different on a spectrum about when that is and, and, and 
it can depend on your religion. It can depend on your medical views. It can depend on a lot of different things, but there are a lot of different opinions about that. Um, and so the real the real point is that every religion has a different view and one religious view, you know, extreme Christianity should not be the one that decides what the law is, what, what your belief about when when ensoulment occurs is very different um, than what the law should be. Well, bringing it back to Mississippi then, because I, I, I think I interjected as you were describing what what that case where that case stands and what we learned in oral arguments and what we could predict moving forward and what it would mean. Yeah. So this this decision or this this case is going to be very consequential. And again, so it's a it's a 15 week ban. A lot of states are passing these laws. So the all these trap laws are are popping up in all these different states and they're kind of having this competition like, oh, we have a 15 week ban. Oh, we have a six week ban, you know. Uh it's sort of a a a drive to the bottom with these trap laws. And so the one that we're talking about in Mississippi, again, a 15-week ban is very early in the pregnancy. Uh, Some people may not even know that they are pregnant, even up to 15 weeks. The other reason that 15 weeks is so deleterious or that has such an impact is, again, it gets at this core of Roe, which is, uh, you know, up into the second trimester that you can't ban abortion. You cannot have a ban. Um, you can limit it. You can, you know, a Planned Parenthood versus Casey said, okay, you can you can limit it uh, as long as the state has an, a, you know, an interest in doing so, but it can't place what's called an undue burden. And so if, if you're completely wiping out abortion after 15 weeks, again, when many people do not even know yet that they're pregnant, let alone have time to make plans and go to the doctor and get a procedure and do, do everything necessary to get an abortion, um, you are completely gutting Roe. You're, you're making a different decision, which means that precedent no longer stands. And so that's what it means. If they decide this case that they are upholding the 15-week ban, Roe is gone. And and what did you learn in the oral argument about where they're heading? I mean, Justice Sotomayor was freaking out in the arguments about all of these things. One thing that she pointed out, I think, was very interesting, which is their argument that Roe uh, was decided on privacy and privacy is not in the Constitution or is not explicitly in the Constitution. So they're they're saying, like, we read the text of the Constitution and it doesn't say anything about abortion and it doesn't say anything about privacy. So we should overturn Roe. Well, guess what? A lot of decisions are decided on the basis of privacy. That was a right that the justices found in the Constitution. So so the way that Sotomayor described it in the oral arguments is that it's found in the structure of the Constitution, not the text. Uh, so they put together a bunch of different rights and they say, OK, so all of these things combined mean we have a right to privacy, which means we We have a right to access birth control, which means we have a right to access abortion. But it also means that we have a right to same legal same sex relationships, which was the decision in Lawrence v. Texas, that we have a right to marry. Same sex couples have a right to marry. That was decided in Obergefell. So these other decisions, if we if Roe falls, that is the beginning, not the end. Uh, if Roe falls, and this is explicitly made in the arguments, if Roe falls, then these other cases are also at risk. If you don't, if you don't care about abortion at all, if you are a gay man and you're never going to get pregnant and you don't care, you should still care about the fall of Roe because all of these other rights are also on the chopping block. And I think. It- it's important to point out that 
while they make the argument, well, the word privacy doesn't occur in the Constitution, it's not like a specious argument from which, I mean, this is one of the few terms I remember from law school. I believe it was the, it's like a word I'd never heard and haven't heard since, but the penumbra of oh, privacy. The penumbra. <laughs> yeah. I have no idea what the use of that word is in any other context because I've never used it. But, but I mean, I, I think it comes out of places like, you know, in the Bill of Rights where it says you can't be forced to quarter a soldier in your home. You can't be, you know, it's not like they made it up. Like there's plenty of stuff in there where you read it and go, oh, clearly that's about privacy. Yeah. And substantive due process rights in the Constitution are rights, are legitimate rights. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very new, you know, relatively new source of legal thought, which is called originalism, which is like if it's not in the original Constitution and it's not in the text, then it doesn't count. That's hogwash. You know what I mean? These these rights are uh, unenumerated rights, but they are just as valid as any of the other rights. That's why we have a Supreme Court to interpret the Constitution and continue to tell us what it means. So the Roe versus Wade is just as valid a decision as any other decision. Um, but this this is very, 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 very this is part of the reason it should be so alarming to every person in the United States of America, whether or not you can ever get pregnant, whether or not you can ever get someone pregnant. You should care about this decision because the demise of Roe versus Wade signals the demise of all of our substantive due process rights. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app. It's not just for during the day. I mean, for instance, we have two children. So it's often the case at night, it could be two in the morning and we're woken up by one of the kids. And then sometimes it can be really hard to get back to sleep. Frequently, I will turn over to Diana and say, do you want to turn on the sleep meditation? We'll turn it on and like within two or three minutes, we're sound asleep. Not all meditation is the same and Headspace offers you that sort of variety. I mean, if you want a mood boosting workout, you can check out Headspace Move. We're getting to the end of the year. If you're feeling burnout, just four sessions of Headspace have shown to reduce burnout by 14%. Three weeks of using Headspace has been shown to cut aggression in response to negative feedback by a whopping 57%. So in just 30 days, Headspace can lower your overall stress by 32%, cutting your stress by a third by listening to an app. I mean, that seems like a pretty good deal. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash M54. That's headspace.com slash M54 for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash M54 today. Jason, I, I think I told you a few weeks ago that I'm now on the double athletic greens AG1 twice a day. And I think I might even go to three at this point because I've now added tennis to my life. It's just another thing that my aging self is having a hard time keeping up with. But I find that if I take my regimen of athletic greens, AG1, I'm right on track and I feel like I'm 25 again. By the time we're doing this podcast in the 2024 election cycle, Ravi, you're going to be like, so I'm on the athletic greens diet. It's, it's all that I drink. Uh, with one delicious scoop of athletic greens, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special 
blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com majority. Again, that's athleticgreens.com majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, when are we likely to have this decision come down? So it's scheduled for the end of the term, um, and they really tend to put the most controversial decisions at the end of the term. So we're not going to see anything on this likely till June of next year. Okay, so great. Uh, Just in time for everyone get your abortions while you can. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so so okay, so let's say, you know, that happens, which it likely will. Um, Places like Missouri are going to like be in such a hurry, like they're, they're going to need like crowd control uh, at the pre-file drafting office of the Missouri state legislature, because a lot of people who think that they should be in higher office than they're in will be trampling each other to be the first ones that file this bill and it's going to pass. Uh, so Missouri, for instance, what's that look like then for, you know, once that's the law, a woman in Missouri, she wants to get an abortion. She, she decides that that's the course for her. What's her life look like from there? What What's that look like? Yeah. So I think um, just to note that there are 26 states that currently, if Roe is overturned, will automatically ban abortion. I'm so, sure we are one of them now that I say that. I mean, like, I think it happened after I left the legislature because I think they were playing around with 21, 22 weeks when I was there. Mm-hmm. So there, they have things that are called trigger bans. Um, and so uh, a trigger ban is basically a law that says if Roe is overturned, we're on the board already, like automatically. Um, and so it, it, it's it's not at all in any way, um, you know, an exaggeration to say that that more than half of states will, will completely eliminate abortion access if Roe is overturned the next day. And, and in our part of the country, I mean, we're talking what like so Iowa probably has already passed this uh, or they will. Kansas, same Nebraska, Oklahoma, Arkansas. So, I mean, Tennessee. So I assume. Somebody goes to Illinois. Is that what happens? So there, there are kind of two paths forward, and I think I'm glad you're asking this question because it's important that we be really realistic about what's happening so that we can prepare. Um, one thing that's actually a very positive, positive development, uh, medical development, is the invention of abortion drugs. So you can get an abortion very easily with a, a really effective uh, combination of two drugs, uh, mifepristone and mesoprostol. Those two drugs, you can, you can just take the pills at home. Uh, it's only up to 10 weeks, so the pregnancy is not very far along. But uh, the person takes the pills at home and, and really, depending on the patient, has a pretty mild uh, reaction. And they uh, essentially might have some extra bleeding, but that's it. So... You can get those drugs and you can get an abortion anywhere. A lot of the advocates are saying, you know, we can't stop the Supreme Court at this point. It is too late. Um, But what we can do is we can help people understand how to get the abortion drugs. We can help them prepare. So there are lots of groups that are there's a group called Plan C Pills that is helping people get drugs. There's a group called Women on the Web um, that helps people get drugs. That group actually, it used to be called Women on the Waves, and they had a boat and they would go to countries where abortion was illegal, pick people up, take them to international waters and give them the pills because the law of the boat 
where the boat originated applies in international waters. So the boat's from Amsterdam, and and in Amsterdam you can get an abortion, and so they would take people and give them the pills in international waters so that it was legal. Which is what, um, like 12 miles off? So they'd like take them 12? That's amazing. Yeah, so that group uh, has now transformed to Women on the Web, and they're helping women get you know the abortion pills. That's one really positive step. There are states that are trying to ban the abortion or what's called medication abortion. They're trying to ban the medication abortion or help or limit people. That will really be the next step because they realize like they can't stop us from taking pills. You know, they can't stop us from getting them. They can't stop us from taking them. Um, But a lot of people don't know about the efficacy of medication abortion. So I think that's a really positive step and something that really... no matter what the laws are, it's it's almost impossible to impede people from getting these pills and taking them and being having a safe abortion at home. And and that's that's at ten weeks. Uh, what if you're, you know, like you said, there's a lot of people who won't know they're pregnant uh, within the first fifteen weeks, or or you know, there's things about life uh, that you know can get you up to fifteen plus weeks. What happens for those folks? They have to get on a plane, I assume. So, and also I think it's important to point out that the vast majority of people who get abortions in this country are already parents. They're already mothers. And so they also have kids to deal with who who uh, they need to take care of. And that can also complicate things and, and make things longer. Um, so if you're not able to detect that you're pregnant or get the procedure or, you know, there's a lot of, like you said, very good reasons that someone might not be able to act before 15 weeks. Uh, if that's the case, they will have to do an in-clinic procedure. And if you live in a state where it is not legal to access abortion care, like you said, you know, we were born after Roe versus Wade came down. So we don't understand what a pre-Roe world looks like, but we're about to. And and in that case, there were networks that helped people travel to other places. There was, you know, uh, before Roe, for example, there is something called the clergy consultation service, and they would help women. Women would meet with the clergy, and they would help women either fly to New York or California, uh, or even abroad if they had to uh, to get the procedure. But that's just heinously inconvenient and also prohibitive for many people. If you're a poor woman living in a rural place, hopping in a plane and going to Manhattan is not in your wheelhouse. It's not achievable. And not to mention, it's not just financially. It's like, okay, uh, I'm going to be off work for a few days. uh, And I'm going to tell my, like, I mean, if you, if you decide to be close to honest, you're, you're saying, well, I mean, this would be fully honest, right? You say, well, I'm going to have a medical procedure when, you know, there's going to be a bunch of people like wondering it's i mean it can affect your your livelihood it can affect your career it can, you know i mean that sounds terrible yeah absolutely even if you're rich and you can get like a medical like a spa abortion in new york or whatever i don't know that doesn't exist just in case the antis are listening that's a joke <laughs> yeah. um but even if you can go to a place where access is uninhibited it completely fucks up your life to be able to to have to go to a place really far away for a medical procedure where you don't live and you have no support. Robbie, this morning, as I was getting ready to take True to school, I went out, started the car, and then True goes back in because he forgot something, and I went back in with him. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm leaving my running truck in the front yard, and I can't see it, and I've had stuff stolen out of it before. But then I remembered I've set up my Simply Safe system to face it. So I thought, if somebody jumps in my running truck and drives away, 
I'm going to at least have a video of them. And that's one of the many ways in which the Simply Safe system makes me feel much more safe. That's smart, Jason, because Simply Safe was named the best home security system of 2021 by US News and World Report. And you could easily customize the system for you. Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year are here. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. And there are no long term contracts or commitments. It's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind. So take advantage of Simply Safe's holiday deals and get 40% off your new home security system by visiting simplysafe.com slash majority54. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash majority54 for 40% off your entire system. So around the holidays between Halloween and the end of the year, there are more sweets getting into the system that get in there the rest of the year. And there's really nothing you can do once you've eaten something like that to change how it affects your body. But you can actually minimize how much damage it does to your teeth. That's where our sponsor Quip comes in. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths. It has timed sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses. It's a lightweight and sleek design, not unlike say a Corvette or a Lamborghini. Uh, It's for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charger to weigh you down. And if you're already keeping your mouth in tip top shape, why not earn some rewards while you're at it? You can upgrade your Quip to a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with the free Quip app. You can earn amazing rewards like free refills, products, target gift cards, and more. If you go to getquip.com slash majority54 right now, on top of their holiday savings, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free and up to 40% off bundles at getquip.com slash majority54, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash majority54, Quip, the good habits company. I wanted to to check in with what some of the, the people on the right are saying about this so we can arm our listeners with some counterpoints to some of the things that they're seeing in their communities. And so uh, we, we tend to go to you know Ben Shapiro because he's got such a big audience. And he recently criticized an op-ed in the New York Times that talked about the relationship between adoption and abortion. Let's listen in on to what he had to say. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, Kate. There's an an absolutely delusional and insane psychotic article today from Elizabeth Spears, who's a Democratic digital strategist. It's called, I was adopted. I know the trauma it can inflict. That's right. The left is so addicted to abortion that now they're going to pretend that adoption is bad. That's how addicted to abortion they are. They're trying to remove all other possibilities. So no marriage, no birth control, no abstinence before marriage. And now adoption is bad and creates conflict. Here is Elizabeth Spears. This is just psychotic crap. It truly is psychotic. Quote, on Wednesday, as the Supreme Court heard oral arguments from state attorneys seeking to uphold Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban, Justice Amy Coney Barrett kept getting at one question. Why was abortion necessary when women who do not want to be mothers can simply give up their babies for adoption? As an adoptee myself, I was floored by Justice Barrett's assumption that adoption is an accessible and desirable alternative for women who find themselves unexpectedly pregnant. She may not realize it, but what she is suggesting is that women don't need access to abortion because they can simply go do a thing that is infinitely more difficult, expensive, dangerous, and potentially traumatic than terminating a pregnancy during its early stages. Wait, hold on. More difficult, dangerous, and potentially traumatic to whom the entire left-wing position rests on the complete dehumanization of a preborn child. That's what it rests on, right? Oh, it's, it's so dehumanizing. I mean, here we have an option where the kid lives and just goes live, goes to another family that wants a baby, or we have the option of you stab it in the face. 
If the court overturns Roe versus Wade, says Elizabeth Spear in the New York Times, many women will be forced to give birth to children they did not want and did not feel they could afford to support. Well, you know, forced to give birth. The language of forced to give birth to children is so bizarre. It's so weird. Forced to give birth is, you mean like your body goes through the process that normally happens when, when, when a baby is conceived? It's sort of like saying, so if you, if you take water and you put it top of a hill and it goes to the bottom of a hill and I don't stop that water from running downhill, the water was forced to reach the bottom of the hill. There's, there's a massive logical fallacy right here. Forced to give birth? Nope, that's the natural process. Can, can I just say that like, while I understand Ben Shapiro as a father, I'm also positive that he's a virgin. <laughs> I don't know how that's, I don't go I don't know how that's possible, but I'm sure conception. of it. Uh, oh, yeah, well, b- before we get to... I think the where like the downhill to use his metaphor. Let's talk about like a little bit of the uphill arguments he's making, like setting this argument up. I find it notable this framing that I, I that I actually often hear from some of my friends on the right, which is that we are concerned with closing off some options. We're, we we don't want marriage. We don't want birth control. We don't want abstinence. Uh, I forget the other things he threw in there. And so I think it's important addressing this. Not one of those things do we outlaw, right? Not, by the way, I like marriage. I, I happen to not have participated in the institution yet, but I, I don't mind it. And I certainly support birth control. Uh, and I'm totally fine with abstinence. Once again, not a practicer of it, but like we're not outlawing any of these things. Like, like there's this idea that we're the ones trying to close off the options, and I just find that framing totally preposterous. Is it because Ben Shapiro participates in all three? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, enough of that. Okay, enough of that. Kate, for real. Yeah. Now, now we turn to you for smart things. I to am, say. by the way, listeners, just because I have a rule here at 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 my company not to make fun of anybody for anything other than their argument. I have been wagging my finger this whole time at Jason for his jokes. Um, and I, and uh, I will send sure. him yeah, a yeah. strongly worded email afterwards with feedback <laughs> about making fun of Ben Shapiro. So I have not participated in any of this. Yeah, I think it's it's um, a very effective tool that they have uh, for messaging. But it's nothing it's nothing close to the truth because the actual way to prevent and eliminate abortion, let's say, let's say their stated goal is what they actually care about. And it's not just about controlling women and elections. If if he actually cared about eliminating abortion, what he would be promoting relentlessly, what they would they would be putting, you know, birth control vending machines on the sidewalks so anyone could get it at any time. Um, because that is actually what prevents people from getting pregnant and never having to to deal with this. Abortion is actually birth control. Those other things are contraceptives. Like contraceptives keep you from getting pregnant. Abortion is what keeps you from having to give birth. And so when people say, it always drives me crazy when people say abortion isn't birth control. I'm like, actually, abortion is the only birth control because it keeps you from giving birth. All of these other things keep you from ever getting pregnant. And and if we care about eliminating abortion or, or even reducing it, then what we care about is giving people access to healthcare they need. And all of those other things are fine. If you want to be abstinent, fine. People on the left believe that everyone should be able to practice their sexuality in a way that's safe and responsible and up to them and only them. Uh, So we would never prevent anyone from making choices for their own lives and bodies. Uh, It's really this access to contraceptives that's that's the question. Well, he also, I mean, 
says in there that somehow marriage is an alternative to abortion, which you've already demonstrated, uh, you know, that there's plenty, like in this episode, that there are plenty of married people who, who choose the option of abortion, right? I mean, so that's, it's like obviously ridiculous, but what I hear, and this gets into the politics of it, which I think a large part of what you're saying is that that's really what, you know, that's what Ben Shapiro is really about here, right? And what I hear him doing in this clip and in every other clip we listen to for this, uh, whether played on the air or not, is doing everything he possibly can to avoid saying the words, look, this is a woman's job. But that's what he means, right? I mean, like, like when you go through, and I think when you talk about this with people, like for the listeners, when when you go through all these different machinations that he's gone through, when somebody does that with you, you got to say to him like, okay, but if if you're going through the whole, this is a natural process thing and they're not being forced to give birth, like, well, at what point is the man required to actually stick around? Like, like if this is equal, why, why is it like the guy can, you know, impregnate and just leave, but it's the woman's job to do this? Like, right. And that's the conversation that even they don't want to have. Yeah. Well, and I think when you get into the question of, two things. One, he mentioned the word dehumanization, which I think is ironic because what we're actually doing here is dehumanizing women Mm -hmm. um, and pregnant people. We're we're saying that they are a thing that we get to control. They are not humans with freedom and autonomy and and choice. And so what's actually, it's it's, it's always a tactic of the right to to sort of bastardize the arguments, um, to make them into something that they're not, to flip them on their script. Um, But what we're actually talking about is the dehumanization of people. And and when we're talking about adoption, um, you know, when you... He doesn't want to call it forced birth because that's an accurate term. Um, and, and giving birth is dangerous. Uh, giving birth is much, much, much exponentially more dangerous than having an abortion, especially with the mat- high, very high maternal mortality rate in this country, particularly for black women. So choosing to continue a pregnancy specifically for marginalized populations is a dangerous act. And, you know, my sister was adopted out. And my mother uh, chose, she she got pregnant when she was 15 and she gave my sister up for adoption and she, you know, she later found us. So I didn't know I had this sister my whole oh, life. Wow. I thought I was the oldest child. Uh, you know, I turn 18 and I meet her and I find out I'm not the oldest. I actually have this other sister. And it was quite an adjustment. But, uh, you know, now we are very close. And and my sister actually made a different choice. She also got pregnant as a teenager. Uh, and she to- she chose to have an abortion. And uh, she actually talks about it on, on the podcast. But she said, you know, it it's uh, adoption is very complicated, even for adoptees. And so I think to simplify something or to to flatten something to the point where you say, oh, this is just the easy and simple choice is to dishonor the experience of so many adoptees who have very complicated feelings about the process of adoption. Yeah, that, I didn't know that. Uh, that story, that's really amazing and compelling. And I don't know how to segue into what I was going to ask you about <laughs> next which is just crass political ramifications of this as sort of the last question of this, which, you know, we wanted to make sure we talked about all the real world, you know, parts of this before getting to the, okay, if this is going to come down in June of an election year, what is that going to mean? Like, I mean, like there's a reason that they didn't go to the Supreme Court with a case that said zero weeks. Like they understand something about the politics of this, right? The right has had 
decades-long plan <laughs> since Roe versus Wade came down specifically to overturn it. At one point, we found our rights in the Supreme Court, and they they gave us access to abortion in a time when the political majority was not supportive of it. That has now reversed. Like you pointed out, Ravi, you know, depending on the, on the spectrum and, and depending on different factors, but almost every American thinks that abortion should be legal in some circumstances. And so they're in the minority. They're in the vast minority at this point. And so they're having to control through, you know, voter suppression, through gerrymandering, through all these things that you guys talk about all the time, um, and through the unelected Supreme Court. They're having to control through the Supreme Court something that most Americans support. And so I think it's that's the thing to keep in mind. Um, politically speaking, it is a minority, and most Americans support abortion access. So then... That begs this this follow up, which is, does that mean that their main argument post, say, June of next year is going to be very much like their argument on photo ID? And here's what I mean. With photo ID, they make it really hard to vote for people who are less likely to vote for them. And then they go, what are you talking about? There's no there's no barriers to voting. So instead of saying, hey, we were successful, we overturned Roe, look at what we did. Can't we expect that their argument is going to be, you can still get an abortion in, in every state in America if you want one? Yeah, and that's why I think gutting Roe is different than completely overturning it. Um, having these incremental bans, oh, it's 15 weeks, oh, it's six weeks, oh, it's da-da-da. You know, it's also a question of moving the Overton window so far that other things seem reasonable. So if, if, you, if you're talking about a six-week ban in Texas, by the time we get to June... Uh, and on also this next legislative cycle at the state level, there are going to be such crazy laws that by uh, proposed that by the time we get to June, it's like, oh, 15 week ban. That's just 15 weeks. They can still get abortions. You know what I mean? Um, so they're moving the window so far that what they're actually proposing, which is a radical overhaul of our uh, you know, longstanding precedent, is going to seem reasonable. Um, and then also a state by state approach. So it's like, OK, now we can do whatever we want. We need to get Republicans everywhere we can. So we can completely got this everywhere so that we can get our final victory, which is abortion illegal everywhere in every state. So then sometime next year, as this nears, uh, we will have to have you back on to talk about, OK, how do we talk about this now? Because it's probably going to be insufficient to just say, oh, well, they gutted Roe. Yeah. I think, um, spoiler alert, my answer is going to be the Equal Rights Amendment. The Equal Rights Amendment is an amendment to the Constitution that will insert equality into the Constitution. Um, and, and privacy, as we have seen and our, as we're going to see, is going to be hacked away at. Um, and so we, we're in a position where we can't change who's on the Supreme Court right now. Um, and we can't change the damage they're going to do. But we can change the document they are charged with interpreting. So go on offense, basically. Yeah. Stop stop playing defense politically. And What's our long-term strategy? They've been working at decades right. to get rid of this, and it's working. What do we have that we've been working on for decades to cement this right into the Constitution is the ERA. All right. Well, I think that, that leads directly into grabbing ore. So, Kate, you're, you're our guest. What would you like people to do as far as an action to take out of this conversation? 
I think the most important thing to do is educate yourself about what is actually happening and and help other people understand that Roe is on the chopping block. That is not hyperbole. That is going to happen. And what are we going to do to prepare? So you can support organizations like Shout Your Abortion, Women on Web, Plan C Pills, um, all of these organizations that are making really realistic plans for what's going to happen and also support abortion funds. So abortion funds are the place that are going to help people get to the places they need to get that care. Um, and then the last thing I would say is is really look into the Equal Rights Amendment and support organizations trying to get it finally ratified. That includes the ERA Coalition. That includes Vote Equality. That includes Generation Ratify. So help help people and and get engaged in actually changing the constitution. Well, thank you for coming on and making us smarter. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for caring. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, if you would like to be a part of this conversation uh, and have us respond to uh, a question, comment, whatever, leave us a voicemail, 508-687-2589, 508 2589. As usual, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. Kate is at Kate Kelly ESQ with underscores separating each word. And our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kimmet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana Kander. By the way, Kate, I'm. This is going to sound weird. I've been thinking of you lately because uh, my vasectomy is scheduled. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> oh my uh, god, that's awesome. And 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 Grace, if you use this in the postscript, I guess it'll just be an excuse for people to go back and listen to the other episode with Kate. Unfortunately. <laughs>